We are in the book of John again this morning. Um, we're going to focus on verses 27 through 38 and, and primarily um, there right in the middle. But I want to read it in its entirety this morning so that we can understand what's taking place. So, praise the Lord. Welcome if you're new here and um, there's Bibles under the pews. I encourage you to grab them. And let's... Let's worship the Lord in the study of his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you. Um, we thank you for the community that is here, the, the, the love that is here, the love that you've placed within our hearts as you mold us, as you conform us, as you just care for us. Um, we thank you for your faithfulness in not only meeting us here in this church, but specifically bringing people to be a part of the body of Christ here at Reverence Bible Church, gifting them in in certain ways to just be a blessing to one another, to me, to my family. We thank you for the way in which you have moved upon the hearts of us here at this church to have you be the center of worship, of, of children's ministry, of everything that takes place, that your word is central to, to us knowing you and studying you and getting to a place of worshiping you more wholeheartedly. We thank you for, um, Lord, just the way in which you caused the gospel to go forward. And I pray that, that on a morning like this, Lord, that you would move within our hearts just to cause more and more fruit in that area. Pray for this world in which we live in, um, in which we are to be lights here in, in this world. Um, cause us to be that. Cause us to, to, to minister here and even to the uttermost parts of the world. Things are just incredibly wicked things are taking place towards, towards Christians in Iraq. Um, all that's taking place in Israel. The instability of, of, of numerous places around the world. And yet, Lord, you're sovereign and you work mightily and, and you cause your name to be glorified and, and yet you call us to pray and so we pray. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that are just suffering in incredible ways, Lord. We pray for them. Minister to them even at this moment. Bless us in our time and in the word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. As we studied that particular section, we saw that Jesus is specifically going from Judea to Galilee. But it tells us here that he needed to go through Samaria. There's a lot of different ways that Jesus could have gone. There's different ways in which he could have gone that would have been far preferred over going this particular route through Samaria. In fact, they, they tried to avoid going through 
that region because of security and all kinds of other reasons. They wanted they would typically go around that particular region, but not the Lord. He he wanted to go specifically through Samaria. And the reason why was because there was this woman that was there. Let's read it. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And when the woman of Samaria said to him, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, sir, I I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And then the woman, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, Am he? Now we, we read the story and I, I love it because I look and I, I see God, the creator of this universe, being in Judea, looking and saying, I, I need to go to Galilee, but I want to go. I need to go specifically through Samaria. He goes and he's weary. He's traveled long. He's hungry. The the disciples are, are, are going ahead to go and to buy food, and Jesus just stays there by the well. And he's staying there for a specific reason. He has an appointment. He has a divine appointment with this particular woman. And he's there, and he, he sees her, and he immediately engages with her and talks with her, something in which Jewish men were not to do at all. They weren't to talk to women, even if they were there with their wife, but they for sure weren't to speak to a Samaritan. And Jesus goes and just begins to speak with her, talking to her about water that is a fountain of living waters that would make it so that she would never thirst again. Like she, she'll, 
it'll spring up into her into eternal life. And she's saying, I want that water. I don't want to come back here to this well again. And Jesus specifically hits her in, 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 in a place that, that she has no idea that he would know about. Go call your husband. I don't have a husband. Jesus looks and says, I know. You've had five. You've had five husbands. The one that you're living with right now is not your husband. Her response is, you, you have to be a prophet. Who else would know all these things about me? You look in, in I'd venture to say that, that every person here in this room, if they look at their life, if they look at the history of their life, there's things that you would hope nobody would know about. But God knows. Like he, he knows. He knows every detail of every person's life. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. He knows your thoughts when they're still afar off. He knows everything about you. He knows all of the sin, everything that's done in secret places. There's nothing that's hidden from him. All of it is known to him. And he's looking at this woman just saying, you've well said, you, you told the truth and that you have no husband, but you've had five. Good chance that, that nobody else knew that she had had five. Or no one else knew that the one that she was currently living with was not her husband. But Jesus just goes and just exposes her sin. It's just there. Um, a, a, a woman in whom maybe the disciples saw as they were leaving and going to get food and saw her and just thought like, let's just stay away from her. But not, not, not the Lord. Not the Lord. He sees her and immediately begins to minister to her. Not, not only to minister to her, but to be able to tell her, if you just asked me, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you and you just asked, I would, I'd give you water that would rise up to just eternal life. You, you would never thirst again. And bringing her to a place and of her saying, okay, so Messiah's coming, who's called the Christ. This isn't something that just pops into her head. This is something in which the Holy Spirit had been working in her heart to to do this, to, to say there is Messiah who is coming and he is called the Christ. And so as she's speaking to Jesus and says, I perceive that you're a prophet, she goes to a place of, I know that Messiah is coming. I know that there, there's one who's coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. He'll tell us everything. And Jesus just looks at her and says, I who speak to you am he. I'm he. I'm the Messiah. And you just think, what took place in her heart at that moment? This is the Messiah. This is the one in whom it had been spoken of all throughout the Old Testament. This is the one who was to come, who was going to come and, and, and change everything. The promised one. And Jesus just says, I'm he. 
He reveals himself to her in, in, in such a way that her eyes are opened. Her heart, which had been so hard and just had been covered with so much sin and the guilt of all that she had done, comes to a place of the Messiah specifically came to this particular region of Samaria. He's here at this particular well. When I'm here at this well, there's nobody else that's around. He came specifically to meet me, to be able to tell me that he's the Messiah, that he's the one that can save, that he is the one who is called the Christ. And I would venture to say that for many of you believers who are here, you can think of time, a time in your life in which Christ specifically met you, exposed your sin. You saw your sin. You saw your need of a savior. Maybe it's not that you've been married five times and the person that you're living with is now that, that is not your husband, but your sin was before you. He showed you your sin, showed you your need for a savior, and then just pointed you to the fact that Messiah is Christ who came and who died on the cross and has made it so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And God met you specifically to save you. And I look, I, I, I praise him for that, the way that he works, what he does, the way that he reaches hearts. Well, at this point, verse 27, his disciples came and they marveled that he had talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? They just come and they see him talking with this woman and they're like, don't say anything. No one's saying, why are you talking with her? They're just quiet. They come, they see him. But in their minds, they're thinking he should not be talking with this woman. She's a Samaritan. He, he should not be talking with her. Well, the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came to him. So she just leaves her water pot. She takes her water pot. She's there. She's come to draw water. She leaves it. And all that she could think of is, I got to go tell people. And she goes, and, and not only does she go to tell people, she just goes and says, he told me everything that I ever did. He went through. He knows everything. He knows about the five husbands. He knows that the one I'm living with now is not my husband. He exposed things that nobody else would know. He's a prophet. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? And she just immediately goes and, and leaves everything. I just, I want to tell people about who I just met. I just want to tell people about who I met. See where... In the meantime, verse 31, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So he's there, and they've brought food. They've brought meat. And they just look at him as he's been there. She's left her water pot. She's gone into the city. And they're looking at him, and they just say, Rabbi, Rabbi, eat. You need to eat something. You're weary. You've traveled far. You haven't eaten. We've gone into the city. We got food. We got meat for you to eat. Eat. But Jesus said to them, said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. 
I, I have food that you don't know about. And so they just say to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? He just looks at them, you guys, I got food that you don't know about. They're looking at each other. They start talking. Did anybody? Who brought him something? He's got food that we don't know about. Who, who brought him something? And he hears them talking. And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. It's my food. The, the thing that satisfies me is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. It's something that just fills me. You look and you, I read this and I think, okay, he's, he's weary. He hasn't eaten. They went. They got food. They brought it back to him. They're concerned about him. You got to eat something. Rabbi, just eat. And Jesus is at a place of, I am so filled with joy right now. I'm so satisfied right now. I have food that you don't even know about. And that is just to do the will of God and to finish the work that he sent me here to do. I just, I'm not hungry. I look at this and I I see a God who, he loved this woman. As he's speaking with her and just saying, you've said right, you don't have a husband. You've had five. The one that you're living with now is not your husband. I can give you water that will make you never thirst again. And you talk about Messiah. I who am speaking to you, it's, it's me. And him looking at her and just seeing her eyes open, her heart change. A heart that had just been covered with sin looks and says, He's my Messiah. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my God. I got to go tell people about him now. I'm leaving my water pot. I'm going. I have friends. There's other people who are sinners. There's other people that, that need him so badly. I'm going. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go tell them. And, and he just looks and sees all this taking place and just says, I'm full. I'm full. I'm satisfied. There's so much joy. I don't need food. I don't, I don't need it. I have food that you guys, you have no idea about. And it is doing the will of him who sent me. Finishing the work in which he's called me to do. You find that throughout scripture where he says things like, prophetically talking about the Messiah, Psalm 40, verse 8, says, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. Talking in the Messiah back then, I, I just, I delight in doing your will. I, I just want to, I want to do your will. What is the will? Luke 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I delight in doing the will of my Father to seek and to save those who are lost. 
You see Jesus in his prayer in John 17 and verse 4 where he says to the Father, I've glorified you on earth and I finished the work which you've given me to do. In fact, there as he's on the cross, he receives a sour wine and he says, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. There was a specific work in which God had called him to and that was to seek and to save those which are lost, to glorify the Father, and specifically to die on the cross for our sins. Everything you go through, you look at, at Scripture, and it was, and he quickly went towards this way, and he made haste, and he went this way. It's always looking and saying, and he is going to the cross. He came to die. He came to seek and to save those which are lost. He came to take people who thought of God as so small and say, no, this is what he is. He came to fulfill all righteousness. There was a purpose in which Christ had come. In fact, he says, there as he's tempted, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I came, I came not for the food here of this world, but, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, to do the will of God, that's why I'm here. This is applicable to us because it's the same for us. We're, we're, we're told to imitate Christ. We're told to, to follow him. We're told to live in the same way in which he lived. And you look at Christ and you see the way in which he ministered and I pray that that would be our hearts. That would be where we are at. That we would look and we would see our lives and we would look at our lives and say I want to I want to do the will of God. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My, my food, I just, I want to do what pleases him. The one who sent me. For us to learn, look and, and to think of God like that, to look and say, okay, you, you look around the room. We have all different kinds of people. Some of you are retired. Some of you are, are going into college. Some of you are still in junior high. Others of you are, are, are pharmacists, work on planes. Here you electricians, people of all different trades that, that are here, and yet every one of us has a calling. Every one of us has purpose. Every one of us has been called to do the will of God, to finish what it is that God, God has for us. What is it that he calls us towards? What is it that he desires for us to, to, to finish in this life? And we look and, and We see him teach us these things over and over again. Charles Spurgeon did a sermon on this particular verse and, and referred to it as the golden sentence. But he, he's talking to his congregation there in England. And he says to his congregation as he's teaching on this particular verse, some of you good people who do nothing except read little Plymouthy books and go to public meetings and Bible readings and prophetic conferences and other forms of spiritual dissipation, 
would be a good deal better Christians if you would look after the poor and needy around you. If you would just tuck up your sleeves for work and go and tell the gospel to dine men, you would find your spiritual health mightily restored. For very much of the sickness of Christians comes through their having nothing to do. All feeding and no working makes men spiritual despotics or you have indigestion and the result is that you are irritable and crabby. <laughs> um, be idle, careless, live with, with, with nothing to live for, nothing to care for, no sinner to pray for, no backslider to lead back to the cross, no trembler to encourage, no child to tell of a savior, no gray-headed man to enlighten to the th- in the things of God, no object, in fact, to live for. And who wonders if you begin to groan and to murmur and to look within until you are ready to die of despair. But if the master shall come to you and put his band upon you and say, I have sent you just as my father sent me, now go and do my will, will you find that in keeping his commandments there is great reward? You would find meat to eat that you know nothing of now. I love that section. I look, and he's just saying, like, good people. Like some of you, you, you love going to readings. You go, love studying different things. You love going to prophetic conferences. You love these things. But it would be far better for you just to go and to help somebody that was poor. To actually tuck your sleeves up and go and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Lead a backslider back to the cross. Someone who's trembling, encourage them. Tell a little child of their Savior. Tell a gray-headed man of the things of God. Tell him. Look, and I, I, th- I think that applies to us here today as well. You look at our lives and you look and you say, okay, not that being in Bible study or in times of reading God's word or going to conferences is a bad thing. That Obviously, these are good things and they just are to encourage us in our faith. They're good things. But not if we're becoming these gigantic bobbleheads that have all of this knowledge and we're just going about our lives, but there's just no passion for the woman at the well. There's no passion for the person who's there and they're lost in their sins. There's no desire to go to the gray-headed person and say, can I tell tell you about God? Can I tell you about who he is? Can I point you to the gospel and show you your sin and show you that you're in desperate need of a savior? If, If we have all of this knowledge, but we have no desire to go and and to minister to the kids and the Children's ministry. There, there's something wrong. If, if, there, if there's no desire to be in a place of discipling people to make disciples, to encourage people to preach the gospel. 
This last week, we had one of Jonathan's little teammates hang out with us throughout the whole week because we would take him to soccer camp and then drop him off with his mom like at 6 o'clock at night. So we had a lot of time with him. But we, we prayed together for our day, for our meals. And the, the little boy would, would start laughing when we prayed. And, and Jonathan started laughing too a little bit. And in my heart, I was just bummed. I'm looking like, okay, he's, like he's so influenced by this little boy when we, and the way he thinks about us praying. And, and then later in that day, Jonathan said to me, like, I don't think that he's a Christian. And I said, why not, buddy? Well, he laughed during prayer. I said, yeah. So you might be the closest thing that he ever sees to what a Christian is and to hear the gospel. The next day we were driving and I, I hear in the back of the car, Jonathan and my little niece Sadie are there and they say, are, are you a Christian? He's like, um, yeah. No, 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 no. Do you believe in Jesus? Like, specifically, like, do you believe in Jesus? And they just went on just to talk with this little boy and to share with him. And I just thought, praise God. I mean, just a heart that looks and says, okay, it's not funny that he laughs during prayer. He needs to know Christ. He needs to know who his Savior is. And to be at a place of let's make disciples like this, let's do that. I pray to God that we wouldn't be those that just have these gigantic heads of doctrine and knowledge of Scripture, but no heart for the lost. No place of, I have food of that you have no knowledge of. I am so satisfied with just seeing people come to know Christ. You see someone like the Apostle Paul who... If anybody just had a gigantic view of who God is, it's the Apostle Paul. And yet he talks about, about the lost, saying things like, I tell you the truth, Romans 9, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow, continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Just, I, I want them to be saved. I, I'm, I, Acts 20, verse 22, I, I'm going to... Bound on the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I just, I just, I just want to tell people about Christ. Chains and tribulations await me, but it doesn't move me. I, I just, I want to finish my race with joy and the way to do that, the way to finish what God has called me to do is to proclaim the gospel. I, I just I want to proclaim the gospel. To tell of his wonders. First Chronicles 16, 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He's also to be feared above all gods. 
Make disciples. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. It's what we're called to do. And I pray that in doing it, we would just look and say, I got food that you don't know about. I got meat that you have no knowledge of. It just satisfies me to be one who goes and proclaims the gospel. To do the will of God. And when we talk about doing the will of God, it goes beyond the proclamation of the gospel and making disciples. It's doing the will of God in every area of our lives. In every area. If we're there and saying, I got food that you don't know about. It's doing the will of God, the will of him who sent me, finishing the work. You may look and say, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. Well, you know a whole lot of things. You may not know the specifics of like move here, go there, take this job, but there are some things that you do know. You know that you're called to abide in him. You're called to abide in him. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We're called to do that daily. To have such intimate fellowship with him and to to be feasting upon his word, to be in prayer with him and seeking his will in every area of our lives that just much fruit would come out of our lives. We're called to follow him. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and to follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You're called to follow him. And so when you're there and you're looking at your life, well, what am I supposed to do? Follow him. Abide in him. Love him. Jesus said, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. You're called to love him. You know that. And as far as God, what is your will for my life? Your, his will is that you would love him. You would love him. That you'd love him above everything else. And when you see other stuff in your life where it's rising to the surface and you think about that stuff more than him and you care about that stuff more than him, we are to just run from those things and to love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. You're called to love your neighbor as yourself. Seconds like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You're to love people. You're to love your enemies. Luke six twenty seven. but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. Peter says, with all diligence, giving all diligence to this, add to your faith virtue or goodness, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. These are things that should be a part of our lives every day when you look at your life. Growing, growing in virtue. Faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control. Perseverance, godliness, kindness, brotherly kindness. You're called to flee youthful lust, 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You're called to flee youthful lust. You know what you're called towards. You're called to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth 
and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I just pray, like, in all of these things that we'd look and we would just say, like, I got food of that you don't know. And that's just, I, I just want, I want to put treasures up there. Just, I'm, I'm single-minded towards doing the will of him who sent me. And the will of him who sent me is to store up treasures there. I don't, I don't want to have all the treasures down here. I want, I want treasures up there. I want my heart to be there. That's where I want it to be. I want to flee youthful lusts. I want to love my enemies. I want to love God. I want to love my neighbor. I want to follow him. I want to worship in spirit and in truth, as we saw a few weeks ago. I want to be someone who prays. You see, in Luke 18, men always have to pray and not lose heart, we're told. I want to trust him. Like Job, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. I want to be someone who gives thanks, always. Psalm 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. I want to be someone who just gives thanks when, when they come, like eat, eat. I got food that you don't know about. I just want to be thankful right now. I, I just want to be overflowing with praise to him right now. I, I'm here to do God's will and it satisfies me just to sing praises to him. I don't want to be all about my personal needs right now. I got something that satisfies me that's just far greater than these things. To praise him. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's part of why we exist. It is why he sent you here, so that you could be in a place of, I just, I love him. I love him. I love him. He saved me. He saved me from darkness. He called me to his marvelous light. I've got to tell you about my Savior. I've got to tell you about what he's did. It's my food to be able to go to someone at a well and just start talking with them and sharing with them. Someone from soccer practice, are you a Christian? No, but do you know Jesus? Because when you're a Christian, you don't laugh when people pray. Like you actually want to spend time with him. To be joyful. We're to be joyful. Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Psalm 68 verse 3. We're to walk humbly with him. Micah 6 8. For he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God and you could just go through scripture and just find command after command after command of what God is calling you to do first and foremost to believe in him to trust in him to hope in him for your salvation and then to look and to say like God I just want to do what you're calling me to do in this life I just want to give you all of me I'm going to take up my cross and follow you I just want to love you the way that you're calling me to love you, to get to know you the way you call me to get to know you. I'm going to spend time with you. I want to have fellowship with those that are around me. I want to use the gifts that you've given me, stir them up for the edification of the rest of the body. I want to do these things. I don't want to forsake the gathering together of the body because you've told me that this is something that's important. You've told me that we are not to forsake the gathering together of the body, that being a church is important. You've told me all of these things to proclaim the gospel and just looking and seeing Christ where it's just 
man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's after fasting for 40 days. My food is something that you don't know about. And I pray that we would look at it and say, I do know now. I do know. He was satisfied with being right in the will of God, finishing the work that God had sent him to do. May we look and say, God, may that be what satisfies me as well. I love it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your heart revealed to us in John chapter 4. Thank you for just giving that example of the way that you reached out to the woman at the well. The joy that you had in doing that. Give us likewise hearts that are just so full of joy to serve you and to live for you and to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples, to see people come to know you, Lord. I pray that it would just, it would be our meat, Lord, that nobody else knows about, but it just satisfies us in the most incredible way just to be right where you're calling us to be. That our hearts would be treasuring and storing of treasures in heaven, not here on this earth. That our hearts would be in a place of loving you and loving one another and loving the lost. Not be in a place of being unhealthy, but being doers of the word in which you've called us to do. And may we just find great joy in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.